Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Here we are, first fruits. Today we're talking about God's firstborn. And the firstborn that the scripture references is found in Exodus chapter 4, verse 19. Exodus chapter 4, verse 19 deals with Israel in whom the scripture calls and God called his firstborn. And we're going to get into this and how it relates to us concerning first fruit. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Now we know that from Moses killing an Egyptian, fleeing from his life, Wanting and feeling the call of God, but he could not go back because he feared for his life, right? So now God shows up and says, hey, go back to Egypt. You're going to see how this falls into the New Testament. And today's going to be very interesting. And then Moses took his wife and sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And, and, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put into your hands. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God has put wonders in your hands. Why would God put wonders in your hand? Well, because you are the body of Christ, and now we have the responsibility of showing the world the works of God. But in this case, it was Pharaoh who represented the government of evil and darkness that Moses was sent to to defeat, to release the captivity of God's children. And when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hands. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Everyone say firstborn. So that I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you refuse to let him go. Indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Wow. You talk about a judgment and you talk about God being serious. If you want to know how God feels about you, his children, this is a prime example that God loves his children children. He called Israel his firstborn. We're going to be talking about God's firstborn today. We're going to be hopefully, uh, with God's help, give you a clear understanding to embrace a principle that you can apply in your life and you can use. If you have pen and paper, uh, I would say if you have your phone to use for your text notes, do anything you can every time you come to jot down what sticks out to you because that's God talking to you. When you get a point, it's what I call catching it. When you catch it, embrace it. And that's what God is trying to tell you in this moment. God has a unique way of talking to all of us at one time. And so God will do it if you're hungry. Is there anybody hungry here today? I'm hungry. I'm ready to feed you. I'm ready to help God do his, do his work and his will. So, Father, bless it today in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Please be seated. God bless you. I'm going to slow down and take my time, and, and I really would desire to deliver it the way it was delivered the first service. Um, this principle of 
the firstborn of God is very intriguing to me. Um, when you look at that, the firstborn of God was, was something that was established through the life of Jacob. So God references and speaks of Jacob uh, through the name Israel. That name didn't come easy. That name wasn't just something one day God said, you know, I'm going to change your name because I have a purpose for you. The actual incident that happened was God wrestling, the angel of the Lord wrestling with Jacob when Jacob was in trouble. When Jacob was in trouble is when he began to encounter God and wrestle with God. The wrestling with God is what established a name change. But what drove him to pray like he did in that type of prayer meeting was the urgency of his life, the fear of his life being taken, the urgency of, of, of his brother coming to meet him, coming to get him. And that's really our nature. Wednesday night I had mentioned that revival really doesn't happen in our life, reviving something until we have been pressed and faced a moment that's detrimental to our lives. And, and so by human nature, uh, when we're in trouble, we pray more. When God's people's under pressure, we pray more. And so the name change occurred, and God touched the hollow of his thigh in that prayer meeting. You know the story, right? And when the scripture says it touched the hollow of his thigh, that means that his, his hip had shrunken. And that I believe that in doing that, common sense tells me that one leg was shorter than the other. So he now walked with the limp. He now walked in this state of what it seemed to be uh, injured or, or this experience that now has completely changed his disposition. So here's this man that's walking with the limp because he had encountered God and God touched him. Most of the time we want God to touch us and everything be perfect. But, you know, after God touches us sometimes, he, it comes through much trial and trouble and things that we face in life that actually leave its mark. Uh, scars were never meant to taunt you. They were there to remind you that God delivered you and helped you. Things that you can recall in your mind sometimes by memory may not have the emotion attached to it anymore, but it's just a reminder to you that God can deliver you. If he did it in the past, he can do it again. Well, Jacob had this inclination. He had this this faith now because now he knew God, uh, one that would wrestle with God, and God named him Israel, a prince that has favor and influence with God. And now Jacob's whole life was now encompassed around that one night, that one night of prayer, that one desperate moment of seeking his face. And that's what Jacob's legacy would be. Jacob's legacy would now become Israel. He is the one who has favor with God, God's firstborn. That birth took place in Jacob's life out of much pain, out of much travail. But now you'll find Jacob's offspring, Israel, now in captivity in Egypt. And while in captivity in Egypt, they're in trouble again. They're crying out to God. They're, they're lifting up their voices. There was a great travail, and God heard this. And when the appointed time had come, God spoke to Moses and God said, Moses, you must go down there now. I've got to bring my son out of Egypt. 
His son really referring to one person, but in the mind of God, they were all one, much like the church is all one in the eyes of God. So he speaks from a singular position, a first-person experience of, of, you know, uh, you see millions, but I see one. You see tons of people, but I only see one man. I remember the man that wrestled with me. I remember the man that never gave up and stood there. Many times we stand before God uh, had received a legacy of our forefathers, our patriarchs, our matriarchs in our life. And many times we will walk in the life of blessing because our mother, our father, grandmother, grandfather had prayed for us. And God didn't forget Jacob through that process of time. So he came back and visited Israel. And Moses stepped in and he had called God and and made up every excuse not to go in. He said, oh, Lord, I, 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 I can't talk. And he said, God, I don't feel like doing this. Essentially, he was fearful. But for every excuse he had, God had a answer. God had a solution. God put people in his stead. He said, take Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Even gave him a rod to pacify him, I guess. I don't know. But he gave him a rod, and he went down. We know that he sent 10 plagues, the 10th one being the spirit of death that would visit the firstborn in Egypt. God said, if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to touch your firstborn. I'm going to make sure that I take your child. And they were stubborn. God allowed stubbornness to inhabit the heart of Pharaoh just to prove that God can, it doesn't matter who's in charge, that God can defy your pride and God will act on behalf of his church because God loves his children and no matter what a prideful heart may desire, when God says, let my children go, you better let go. You better let go. In other words, don't ever be intimidated by people or a spirit or a feeling you've got of stubbornness, all that means is, is that the greater the battle, the greater the victory. The longer the wait, the greater the anointing. The longer the trouble, the more flow you'll have in your life afterwards. And then Moses. Moses comes in. And he told Israel, he said, take the blood. Everyone say the blood. Take the blood. And go over your doorpost. And when the spirit of death comes by, it will see the blood and it will pass over. Therefore, they celebrated from this day, even today, pass over. And that spirit of death will pass over your homes. But it will touch everything else. And through the blood, Pharaoh said, I must let him go. And he let God's people go. But then his heart was hardened again. Driving Israel, now they come to a crossroads called the Red Sea. Now the Red Sea is their opposition. But yet again, God comes in and says, stretch out your rod, Moses. In other words, stretch out the very thing that's in your hand. Because what I put into your hand is what you will use. Many times we're asking God to do things in our life when he's already given it to us. 
And you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be uh, an intellectual, score high on your, on your personality test profiles in any way and be the best of all things. You, you really just have to recognize that God will use you and take what you've got. He, if he used Moses to bring Israel out with the rod, and if he used David to defy and defeat the, the armies of the Philistines with the sling and a stone, and, and if he used the jaw of a donkey to, in a man that was nowhere near the university or any, or, or any, any uh, kind of eloquent education or speech or had any kind of other talent, he was just strong. And when he took that and used it against the Philistines, Samson was a very strong man, but I'll tell you, it wasn't by power it wasn't by might but all of those men from Moses to David to Samson were anointed by God it was by his spirit it was by his spirit and by the spirit of God he departed the Red Seas he moved the Red Seas apart and then Israel walked through Israel walked through the water someone say water so he took them through the blood then took them through the water, and the Scripture says that when they came through the Red Sea, that the Red Sea washed away Egypt. The Red Sea washed away their enemies, washed away their past, washed away every person that was at them and trying to get to them for their life. After coming through that whole episode, miraculous feat, watching the hand of God, then God says, now I'm going to build the tabernacle so my spirit will be with you. Everyone say the spirit. Then God gave Moses the law and the plans for the tabernacle and said, now I want you to erect this edifice here. It won't look pretty. It'll be made out of skins of the animals that you offer. And it's not going to be the most beautiful thing. But inside there, I'm going to put the Ark of the Covenant. And it will represent my spirit. And I'm going to choose a man, the high priest, to come in. I can't allow everyone to go through. I'm just going to let one man go through. I let all of you go through the first process. But now I'm just going to let one man handle it all for you and he's going to pray for you he's going to enter into that tabernacle and he will begin to intercede but but along the whole way you still have to carry the blood you have to go to the altar everyone say the altar was where the blood was then you have to go to the laver everyone say laver where the water was then you can enter into the spirit where the ark was and so you find this pattern begin to develop from, from the blood to the water to the spirit, then the tabernacle, the blood, the water, and the spirit. And then you find out that when God brought Israel out, all he wanted to do was create a pattern of things to come. Everyone, every Bible student will know that when you read the Bible, it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It is a shadow of things to come. It was prophecy that Jesus referred to, and write this scripture down. I say it all the time, but go home and look it up. Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. It's not here, but references. Write it down. 
Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights speaking to his disciples. And he told them, now I'm going to explain to you what Moses, what the prophets and the Psalms wrote concerning me. He said, everything you read about in the Old Testament is going to be fulfillment to what's happening right now in my day and age. Thus, it was meant for me to go through the crucifixion. This is after his resurrection. Thus, because of what's written in there, I had to fulfill it by going to the crucifixion, by going through the burial, by going through the resurrection. He said, you'll understand it later, but write it down. I need you to go out into the world and make disciples of all men. I need you to go out and teach this thing. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that they carried out exactly what Jesus said. But see, Jesus first, that moment, he had to go through and experience some things. Why? Because Jesus had to give himself back to God. The firstborn of God, the firstborn that belonged to him was holy, sacred, and the firstborn, just like Isaac to Abraham when he was taken up Mount Moriah when he stood up there and he lifted his dagger up to the sky and he began to go down and the angel caught it midair and he began to do what God asked him to do and God said now I know you're my friend and then the ram came into the thickets and he sacrificed that that wasn't the case with God's son when Jesus came into the world he had to take them all all the way up that hill and he had to be the sacrificial lamb that would save us from our sins. Then Jesus came into this world and he allowed them to apprehend him and he took, they took him to the whipping post. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They made him carry his cross. All of this was going to be relevant for our time. The Old Testament was telling us about the fulfillment of Jesus, and Jesus was fixing to tell us about the fulfillment of his church, of his body. It all began to domino. So Jesus was taken to the cross, and at the cross is symbolic for where the blood, everyone say the blood, there it is again, the blood. And then the scripture says that Jesus himself also was baptized as well. But you see, baptism was the first moment in Jesus' life where the Father, that, that the force from heaven, the one God of Israel, would one day speak to solidify his son again. It was the continuation of his first, this time under the old covenant, under an old covenant, he took Israel, his firstborn, to walk through the Red Sea, the water, and then now all of them had to go through to be sanctified and prepared for what they had in the future. But now Jesus walks in this earth and he says it one more time, the old covenant, the old thing, that Old Testament, 
it wasn't effective. It wasn't, it, it, it took too much for them to try to fulfill the law. I'm going to send my son into the world, but instead of taking everybody through the water, I'm going to allow him to go through the water. And when he went through the water of baptism, he did it as an example for you and I, because one day you and I would have to go through the water as well. And in that moment, there was a sound from heaven and a bird that descended upon him like the spirit of God, like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was likened to a dove. And the spirit descended upon Jesus and the heavens declared and spoke with a thunderous voice and said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And you talk about shock. You talk about a shock and awe effect on the religious world. And then Jesus left that moment. But the scripture says, now you and I are baptized with Christ in the likeness of his death. Someone say the water. Now you and I are baptized with Christ in the newness. See, we didn't have to to go through it but by faith all we've got to do is come to the cross where we receive the blood oh, I'm getting ahead of myself Jesus went through the cross the burial and then was resurrected everyone say the blood the water and the spirit and Moses and Moses' life he said you're gonna, uh, you know, you're not gonna come out of Egypt. I'm gonna bring my firstborn. He's gonna have to go through, but he's gonna, he's gonna have to be covered by the blood on the doorpost. Someone say the blood, but you're gonna go through the Red Sea. Someone say the water, and I'm gonna bring the presence of God in your life through the Ark of the Covenant in the Tabernacle. Someone say the Spirit. And then Jesus comes into the world Himself, and and He goes through the cross. Someone say the blood, and then He was baptized, but He was buried in the ground. Somebody say water. And then he resurrected somebody, say the spirit. But that spirit was poured out. What was so fascinating about the birth of Christ was is that it is a medical marvel. There is one thing that someone has to have in their life before they ever exist, and that's the blood of their father. Jesus did not get earthly blood. Jesus got heavenly blood. That's why his blood was so precious. And Mary conceived and gave birth through his son. You see, in the Old Testament, I hope some of you catch this, God had to give birth to his son too, but it came through the bowels of sin in Egypt and had to come through the law of Moses, through the law. God gave birth to the firstborn through the law. Then God gave birth to his second son, which is his first son again, which was a type and said, this time I'm going to be the father because the law won't keep them. I have to become the incarnate word and the word made flesh. And when they walk, when he walks in this earth, he's going to be the exact resemblance of my authority. He's going to have his father's nature. He's going to look just like me. He's going to act just like me. Have you ever met someone uh, that, that they had a father and son, that the son looked just like the father? Have you ever met, is that, 
Do people ever tell you that, boy, your son looks just like you? Yeah, I, I, I was only six years old when my father passed away, but then and, and later on in life, I would run into people, and they say, man, you've got a sense of humor just like your dad. You laugh just like your dad. You act just like your dad. You stand just like your dad. You do things just like your dad. I only had him for six years. I don't remember none of that. But the inherited DNA that God put into me allowed me to have attributes. It allowed me to have characteristics. When Jesus walked on this earth, he carried every attribute of his father. That's why when he faced every devil, when he faced a troubling moment, a sickness, a disease, when he had turmoil, when he was in trouble, that's if it couldn't affect his father, it would not affect him because his father was greater inside of him and nothing could stop God nothing can hinder God nothing can stop the progression of God and Jesus went through it all now you and I are born the same way who is the bride of Christ are we married to Jesus are you married? I'm asking you a question. We're, we're all part of one body. Am I right? Am I wrong? I'm right. Okay, great. Thank you. And so, Elena, are we, are we the bride of Christ? And when we worship with God, do we call it intimacy with God? And through our intimacy with God, there's a spirit of God descend. And through the dissension of God, through souls, through people come to the cross still. Am I right? And through that interaction that we have people coming to repentance, is the blood applied? The blood is applied where? In the womb of the church. How was Jesus born? In the womb of the virgin. Who is the church? The virgin bride of Christ. Why? Because we've been forgiven. When a baby's born, what happens before the baby is born? How does the mother know the baby's coming? The wa- oh, the water breaks? How many of you have ever gone through the water and broke the water? How many of you have ever been water baptized? Oh, you mean that when people come to the cross, the blood is applied in the womb of the church? Yes. When people are water baptized, they come out of the womb of the church. And in order for that baby to have breath, we look for the Spirit of God to speak through the baby, to live in the baby, like God breathed on. Am I, is this too deep for anybody here today? Is this, you understand what I'm, I'm it's going to come together for you, I'm telling you. And when the Spirit of God descended upon you, can I ask you a question? Was there a vocalization? Was there a manifestation? Was there an experience that came out? Did there, were there sign of breath, life, and abundant life? Did you have rivers of living water coming out of you? Was there a cry coming out of your soul? You know why? Because you were born again of the water and of the Spirit, and you were born again into the kingdom of God. But where did you come from? You came from the womb of a church, the womb of a virgin, just like Jesus was born born into the world you were born into the world the same way but you didn't have to go to the cross you didn't have to go through the burial you didn't have to go through the resurrection Jesus said by faith you go to all those places because I went to it first point number one is Israel Jesus and the church all came out of Egypt all of us came out from Egypt 
That was the natural Israel. Now we are the spiritual Israel. And biggest, the biggest issue Israel had was, wasn't coming out of Egypt, was Egypt coming out of them. The biggest struggle you and I have is not coming into the church and not coming out from the world, but staying in the church and keeping the world out of our hearts. And we say we face the same dilemma. God wanted his firstborn Israel to worship him freely, but it failed and they worshiped the golden calf. God said never again this time. This time around, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to give birth to a son, but he's going to go through the same thing that Israel went through. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. And the child in Jesus, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. You remember the rest of the writers, what they wrote about this? They said, the angel showed it to them and the other writers and said, those that seek the death of the child are dead. Go back. It's the same thing that God told Moses. Those that seek your life are dead. Go back. And he said to Moses, go back to Egypt. But he's telling Joseph, go back to Egypt. That this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt to fulfill what the prophecy was. You see, when you read the Old Testament, you're just not reading the book. You're just not reading history stories. You're reading teachings. You're reading fifth prophecies, prophecies that God had happened for your purpose, for you to get a deep reality check of what he was doing. He was setting the stage for something greater. When God saved us now, he saved us out of darkness in his marvelous light. And you and I were in bondage to sin. And one day you cried out to God. And one day you lifted up your voice. And one day God sent somebody to you. Whether it was a visitation from him that came through somebody praying for you. Whether it was your mom or your brother or a sister that won you to Christ. I don't know how and what God used. I don't know what method it was. But I do know it didn't happen until somebody cried out for help. It didn't happen until somebody said, Jesus, save them. Jesus, help them. Jesus, help me. But when he brought them out, they worshiped a calf. And so point number two, God brought us out of Egypt to worship him. And when God, listen to this, when God brought Israel... <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Is he telling the truth? Go read it. When God, this is all fresh coming off the press right now, by the way, some of this stuff. So write it down because I'll forget what I say. Thank God we record it. When God brought Israel through the Red Sea, the first temptation they had before the building of his presence was Moses going up to the mountain, Zion, and that's where they built the golden calf. And that mountaintop experience was a temptation. When Jesus was baptized and went through the water, are you catching me? 
the first place he went to was the wilderness for 40 days. Just like Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, he went for 40 days. I didn't get this off TBN. I got this from the Holy Ghost, so just pay attention. And the first thing he did was faced with the temptation. What was that temptation? Turn the stones to bread. What did he say? He used his father's words. He said, look at all the gold. Look at all the riches. I'll give them to you. What did they make the golden calf out of? Gold. Riches. And they formed their own idols. But Jesus said, no way. It's written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the first time the firstborn didn't get it, it fell. But the secondborn, firstborn, came in and passed the test. But now the ball is in our court. What will we do now? What will we do? When God brought us out of Egypt, it was to worship him. I have a reference scripture here. And for the sake of time, let me just do this. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them from the land and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant so I turn my back on them, saith the Lord. But this I will put, this will I do. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, someone say that day. On that day, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they will not need to be taught their neighbor, teach their neighbor, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you shall know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. In other words, everyone's going to have an intimate relationship because now it's not just one person going into the presence of God trying to teach it to the priests. Priests teach it to the leaders. Leaders teach it to the families. Families teach it to their children. It's going to be everybody that Jesus is coming for to go into the presence of God and know him for a fact where the Spirit of God is going to teach us everything we need to know. And verse 12, and I will forgive their weaknesses and never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete it is now out of date and will soon disappear and has already. The scripture says that the finger of God showed up with Moses and the finger of God, read it, it says it, the finger of God. By the way, read it in the King James or in the New King James, just FYI. Because it gets a little watered down with other translations. They take out the meat of what God's trying to say. But when you read it in the Bible, and by the way, just nobody misread me there. I, li I like reading all kinds of uh, translations. But just go to the New King James and go to the scriptures. And it says, the finger of God came and wrote on the tablets that Moses had. Paul writes later in the New Testament, but God will put his law 
word in our hearts and write them with his finger. In other words, Moses was the only one that was able to approach God and see the finger of God in the Old Testament. It didn't say Moses had God write on his heart, but on stone tablets, which represented the hearts of the people because they had hardened hearts. But now in the New Testament, God says, that didn't work. This time I'm going to do a new thing. And I'm going to write my laws in their heart. I'm going to personally touch them. And when I touch them, they're going to want to obey me and follow me and worship me. They're going to understand me. They're not going to have to go. And it doesn't say you go to church and not have to be taught. But it's going to mean that nobody's going to have to explain it to you because the Spirit of God will give you a divine revelation of who he is and what you need to do. And so God says, now I'm going to cause them to live in this world of darkness, come out from an old system, come into a new one, and they will be blessed and they will obtain the promises and they will walk in victory and they will defeat every devil that comes against them and they will be blessed around them like favor is around you like a shield. They will walk in that new dimension. But number three in the last point today is that Jesus showed us how God's children should live. So here's the point. Here's the point. Mark 8 and 34 said, when he called the people to himself, his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh, my God. Thank you, Lord. Let's go back to it. Take up the cross. What happens at the cross? The blood. You're walking in mercy. He said, if you take up your cross, follow me. He said, deny yourself the cross. Excuse me. Deny yourself. The cross is a denial of self. The cross is the denial of self. In other words, when we come to the cross, we have to make up in our mind, not me, God, but you. Not my will, but your will. Jesus had that crossroads in his life, too, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestled and said, not my will, but your will be done. We have that same crossroads, so don't feel like you're alone. It is a struggle, an inward struggle to do the will of God. But God said, if you will deny yourself, first, then take up the cross, because it's easier, easier to live on the cross, carrying a cross, than it is to be in a sinful world. The cross had no burden. See, Jesus needed help carrying his cross, too, or makes us think that we won't need help carrying ours. When God said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, what he was saying was, is that everything and everyone that's the firstborn to God belongs to him. And just like I, because Jesus was God's tithe to the world. And when God sowed that tithe, the first fruit, his firstborn, when he planted him, 
many others begin to grow. In other words, the scripture says when a seed dies and it is buried, it produces much fruit. What God is trying to tell us is that we are born again, but still have the firstborn in our lives, and we belong to him. And when we choose to deny ourselves and we choose to follow after him, that's when we begin to produce fruit in our life. That's when we begin to produce many things. We feel like we make great sacrifices to God, but I'm going to tell you here right now, you can never outgive God in any way. And giving our life to him to serve, when we give God our talent, our time and treasure, we are putting God first. The point I want you to remember today is this. Here's the last thing. Come on, Haley. When we put God first, we are carrying our cross. When we simply bend our will to conform to his will, we are saying, God, just like Jesus gave himself up, by faith, I give myself to you. I give you my will. I, 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 I had plans, God. I had great plans. I got all this stuff written down on paper, Lord. I got blueprints. I got all this. God says, looks at us and laughs at that. He goes, wow, that's cute. It's like God says, that's cute. Here's my plan for you. It's much bigger. It will keep you saved. I will bless you in it. And I will cause your family to prosper as well. And I will bless your children and your children's children if you just simply lose your own will. Stop trying to develop and make idols in your life. Get rid of all the idols in your life and make me number one and put me first. Well, how do I do that, God? Pick up your cross and follow him just like the firstborn of God did the same thing. The firstborn Israel failed. The second one did not. Now what are we going to do? See, when the devil thought he had Jesus and said, we've shut his mouth, we've got him in captivity, he's become our prisoner, we will crucify him, we will never see him again. But the scripture says, had the devil known that he was the son of God, they would have never crucified the Lord. They would have never did what they did. Because I guarantee you, they were sorry after three days. They were sorry after the one moment when he gave up his last breath and said, it is finished. Then Jesus showed up to that invisible world and said, ha, you didn't know it was me, but guess what? Here I am. Give me the keys. And I'm going to go back in this world, and guess what? I'm going to cause a lot of problems for you because you thought I was trouble. You wait for my brothers and sisters to come into this world, and you're going to see a lot of trouble. I'm going to make disciples of all nations. I got 12 disciples. One of them failed, but I replaced them already. And I'm going to send them out, and we're going to see a great nation come up. And this is a group of people that will not bow down to false idols. This is a group of people that will not be driven by self 
selfless ambitions. This is a group of people that will pick up their cross. They understand first fruits. And as they sow into the, their life unto God, they're going to be blessed in everything that they do. These are people that know how to be planted by the river. These are people that know the secret of how prayer works in this world. These are people that understand fasting and know that it needs to be coupled with prayer. These are people that will be in church services every Sunday despite what regulations have been put on them. They will continue to go to church. They will continue to worship. They will find a way to worship. They will storm the beaches. They will go past and use any means of technology. They will pray in their prayer closets. They will meet in small groups. They will continue to go. Nothing shall stop my children from fulfilling the will of God. Is there anybody in this place that feels that type of anointing and that type of move in their life. Stand to your feet. Raise your hands and just begin to surrender to him. Someone shout the blood. Come on, someone say the water. Someone say the spirit. You've been born again. Now you're God's choice. It's up to us to do what Jesus did. And i got to tell you, it looked gruesome for a moment. But when it was all said and done, he reigned king supreme. He became the lion of the tribe of Judah because he learned how to be the lamb that was broken for all nations. He went in as a lamb and came out as a lion. And that's exactly what will happen to you. If you lay your life down, and here's what the scripture says, Paul wrote that present your body a living sacrifice not a dead one with dead works with things that don't work God says I want your life I want you to serve me I want you to honor me I want you to live for me anyone that lives for God and chooses God he said they understand it's their reasonable service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, which is your reasonable service. That's first fruits. This year, we're putting God first in everything we do. We're going to honor God in every way we can. We're going to worship him anywhere we can and any time we can. We're going to pray anywhere we can and any time we can. We're going to just make time for him. We're going to put him first. We're going to get rid of our agendas. And we're going to take up the dreams of God. We're going to take up the vision of God. We're going to embrace ourselves to bring in the kingdom of God. We want to pray this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive everyone else their trespasses and deliver us from evil, dear God. Because we want to follow after you. We deny our own self. See, that word is a strong word that makes you get depressed, but it really isn't. All denying is, are you ready? All denying is, is truly submitting to God. We look at dying and think that, oh my God, I'm going to die. No, to die is to live. 
You see, that's why I said just a moment ago, I said what I said, when we put God first, we are carrying our cross. See, carrying the cross of Christ is not a burden, it's a privilege. So whenever we say, you come first, we deny ourselves. So we cause the old man to carry the burden and the new man to thrive. Okay, somebody got that. The old man, it's hard being the old man, by the way. It's hard living the old life. The scripture says that Moses denied the pleasures of sin for a season that he may be counted as outcast with God's people. So in other words, the old nature wants to go back. But when we feel the pleasure of it, then we come to the reality of carrying sin which is the biggest burden we could ever carry and we cause our old man to be weighted down and destroyed but when we go and carry our cross the cross shields us the cross saves us the cross forgives us the cross is where the blood is shed and we receive forgiveness and then the scripture says we are risen with him in the newness of life that causes our new man to thrive I would rather live for God and follow Him than to give in to any culture and to give in to any political suasion or to give in to any ideology that did not come from the Word of God or was not manifest from heaven. But I am here today to make a declaration to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to worship Jesus. We are going to put Him first. Will you, if you agree with me, can you lift up your hands right now and just begin to worship and make that your prayer today? I'm going to put you first, Lord. I'm going to worship you first. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my business. It's not about my popularity. It's not about my prosperity. It's not about like me being like God. It's about bringing you glory. It's about doing your will. It's about reaching souls. It's about reaching out to the lost. It's about dying to myself and living unto Christ. It's about living in the Spirit, following the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, walking in the will of God in my life. Lord, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. Come on, sing it. Sing it today. Come on. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.